take over. <laughs> Bless you, brother. Pastor Steve is cool, isn't he? <laughs> Strange, but cool. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Ten days to Christmas. How many of you are ready for Christmas? Raise your hand. God bless you. We are thrilled for you. <laughs> hey, I'm hearing about our Adopt-A-Family program, and I just had an update that we have 130 families that we still want to help. Uh, it's happening uh, wonderfully, but the table is in the mall. Stop by and take a look uh, if, you, if you will. And uh, we're going to look uh, this morning at a kind of standalone message as we're coming into this Advent season, this wonderful Christmas season. And the title for the message is, You Said What? You Said What? And we're going to reflect on Mary, the mother of Jesus. Dustin, earlier as he led worship for us, mentioned those Christmas nativity plays and scenes. How many of you have already been to one of those uh, this year? You've been to a nativity presentation. They are wonderful. And uh, where the children get all dressed up and they act out the, the glorious nativity story. And I heard of a, a nativity play that happened back in England uh, with four-year-olds playing the different, four or five-year-olds playing the different part. You've got Mary and Joseph and they're doing the innkeeper scene, you know, no room at the inn. And so uh, the little boy who's playing Joseph, he, uh, he delivers his lines perfectly. He says, hello, my name is Joseph, and this is my wife, Mary, and she is heavy with child. <laughs> Have you any room in your inn? And the little boy playing the innkeeper froze, and he couldn't remember his lines. He's like, I don't know what to say. So the kid playing Joseph, he was a real professional. He thought, I'll just deliver my line again, and hopefully the innkeeper will remember his line. So he said, hello. My name is Joseph. And this is my wife, Mary. And she is heavy with child. Have you any room in your inn? The innkeeper froze again. And his parents are out there praying to God. And the audience is restless, so someone just whispered, make it up, make it up, ad lib, ad lib. And the innkeeper said, sure, we've got plenty of room, come on in. A new twist on an old story. Isn't it true that the story can become so familiar? It's Christmas time again. We look at those particular episodes, and it's so familiar. And what I want us to do this morning is to take a look at the role of Mary, not only in the birth of Jesus, but also in his life and in his death. Now, you might think, that's, that's weird, Jeff, talking about his death at the same time as talking about his birth. But actually, that's the way the New Testament unfolds the story. Because Mary and Joseph were to take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, and there, Simeon prophesies over Mary and said, a sword is going to pierce your soul. The death of Jesus 
is right there at the beginning, even in his earliest days. It's certainly true that Mary polarizes opinion uh, when different traditions of the church look at her and her role. There are there are some who see her as the mother of God, the perpetual virgin. She is beatified in art with the glowing halo. And then there are others who react against that tradition and almost seem to ignore this remarkable young woman. And she was certainly young. There are two extra-biblical sources outside of Scripture, historical sources, that say that Mary was somewhere between the age of 12 and 14 when she met this angel. And we are probably rightly horrified by that. We need to understand that back in the day of Jesus, uh, young girls were often betrothed at the age of 12 onwards. Betrothal was like engagement in our culture, except you had to get a divorce to break off the engagement. And so here is a very uh, young woman Very likely she was illiterate. Her only knowledge of the scriptures would be what she heard in the synagogue, what was memorized at home. And she would have lived a very ordinary life in a town, the whole town where she lived, Nazareth. It was the wrong side of the railroad tracks. The word that comes to mind is it was a podunk town. I have no idea what the word podunk actually means. It is possible that I've just said something really rude just then. But whatever it means, it was one of those. In fact, Nathaniel in John chapter 1, he, he hears about Jesus coming from Nazareth. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's, it's that kind of town. And here is this very young woman living in this nowhere place. One writer says it was a non-place, a shoddy, corrupt, halfway stop between two port cities overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. It was a pretty miserable place. But it was there that the angel of the Lord appeared. So let's see what we can learn from this remarkable woman. Number one, if you're following along in the bulletin, number one is this, Mary trusted, Mary trusted in the place of mystery and confusion. She trusted in the place of mystery and confusion. Look with me. At Luke chapter 1, familiar words. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing 
is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Will you notice the flow of the narrative? I can summarize it like this. The highly favored one becomes the greatly troubled one. I need to say that again because it's a computation that we might not be that familiar with. The highly favored one of God becomes the greatly troubled one. And as the Bible describes Mary's reaction, it uses a word to describe someone arguing backwards and forwards in their own mind, having a two-sided argument mentally. What, how's this work out? What's, what's going on? What are the implications? And, and no wonder she was confused. Think about it. This was the first time in human history a virgin birth had happened, and it's happening to her. Secondly, not only that, but there are some very poignant words at the end of that reading that I just shared, where it said, then the angel left her. Now, if I'd have been her, I'd have said, stop right there, buddy. Step away from the door. I need you to hang around here. Because the implications of this are huge, but the angel leaves her. She's possibly thinking, did it, did it really happen the way I think it just happened? And then there's Joseph to reckon with. Now, just imagine the scene. Mary goes to Joseph and she says, honey, I don't know whether they said honey back then, but let's pretend. <laughs> honey, shalom, whatever. Um, I, got, I got some news, big news, pretty uh, amazing news. Surprising news. And Joseph says, what is it, hon? She says, she says, she probably thinks if I say it real quick, it won't sound as bad. I'm pregnant. <laughs> pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. He says, what? I'm pregnant. He says, what? You can imagine the thoughts in his mind. He says, what? What have you done? And then she says, well, honey, there, there was this angel. <laughs> now, if you're thinking I'm putting a bad spin on a holy story, let me point you towards Matthew chapter 1 because it talks about Joseph's reaction. Look at it. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But then look at this. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. What do you mean after he'd considered it? Why not book an appointment before? <laughs> right? This is confusing. There is scandal and danger. The death penalty for adultery was not normally practiced at this time, but it was still out there. But the angel says to her, Something that I believe God wants to say to some of us this morning. It goes like this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I've been wrestling with that phrase all week. Because the implication of it is amazing, I think. The implication is, if God says, do not be afraid then that perhaps surely means that we have choices when it comes to fear. 
that fear is not just a stalker that we are the victim of or a, an avalanche that is going to automatically overwhelm us, but that as by the grace of God we learn to take every thought captive, then faith, and therefore not fearing, can be something that we, by God's help, choose to do. Do not be afraid. One translation is, stop being afraid. I was fascinated when Pastor Steve began his contribution to this service by reading from that psalm, which makes a declaration of intention about trusting God. We didn't get together on this. And as I listened to him reading that, I thought, this is wonderful because the psalmist is making a choice to trust. Now, I don't know how it all works out, and I'm asking God to help me to learn, but I want to learn how not to fear. Do not be afraid. And surely part of that is an attitude of submission because Mary receives this epic news, and then look at her response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. The Greek word means slave girl. I am your slave. May it be to me as you have said. She submits. Two days ago, two days ago on Friday, Kay and I went Christmas shopping. It did not go well. You know that, don't you? You know, I don't know why these things happen to me. I believe they probably happen for the purposes of me being able to tell you about it on <laughs> Sunday mornings. We, uh, we went out of town, and uh, we got about 20 minutes out of town when suddenly I heard a loud explosion at the back of my car, and the right tire, the right tire, Mass confusion hit the house just then. The right tire. <laughs> burst. And there was this loud bang, and Kay said, what's that? And I said, I, I don't know. We carried on driving, and <laughs> about a minute later, the tire completely collapsed, and I heard this sound of metal on road. And I felt led to pull the car over. So I pulled the car over on a single lane. You know, it's 402 going out to the highway. Is it 402? Doesn't matter, does it really? And I got out and I looked at the tire. I got back in. She said, what's going on? I said, it's the back tire. I said, praise the Lord, honey. This is an opportunity for us to rejoice together in this minor domestic tribulation. Amen, amen, she said as I handed her my tambourine and we began to sing Kumbaya. <laughs> Actually, I was irritated. So I said, look, honey, we're in a dangerous spot, so I'll slow the traffic down while you change the tire. <laughs> what? What? Was that wrong? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. So she looked at me, she said, you're gonna fix the tire? I said, uh, I, I don't think so. It's a four by four, it's a heavy vehicle. It will end up in the emergency room, it's not gonna go well. And I'm gonna tell the Timberline people about it and they'll laugh, they'll think it's really cute. So I said, let's call out the roadside assistance. That's what we pay for, let's get the value. 
two hours later, <laughs> the roadside assistance guy says, shows up and he said, don't worry, Mr. Lucas, I will fix your tire, but we are in a very dangerous spot here. So could you try and slow the traffic down? This is highly dangerous. I said, I can do that. So I stood at the side of the road about 20 yards in front of my car and I'm doing this. Just that. Perfectly benign, friendly. Just. I was amazed. People cussed me out. They honked their horns. I had truckers speed up. And I had one or two people make some unseasonal gesticulations. You know why? It's simple. Without the authority to tell them what to do, I was telling them what to do. Bless God, this is my road. Don't you go like that to me. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll honk my horn and I'll speed up. And then when we find it so difficult to submit to a simple human instruction, then God comes along and he says, or he doesn't say, he does this. Or maybe he does this. Or maybe even this. And we feel like, are you really going to tell me what to do? Mary responded with trust, but also submission as well. There's a lesson there. Secondly, Mary refused to allow her life to be defined by failure. She refused to allow her life to be defined by failure. Have, have a look at Mark 3 with me. Jesus is now an adult. He's, he's in ministry. And look at what happens here. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. And then verse 31 says this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Sometimes things can go wrong even though we've got the very best of intentions. We mean well, but suddenly it goes horribly wrong. I love nativity programs, plays at this time of the year, and I also enjoy the fact that this time of the year is often when presentations of Handel's Messiah take place. The Hallelujah Chorus, you familiar with the beautiful music? <clears throat> And the orchestra rehearses, and the organist rehearses, and the choir rehearses. But sometimes, with the best intentions, it goes wrong, as happened at this one particular recital. Take a listen.
<laughs> I love the nervous applause at the end. It was all meant so well. But it all went horribly wrong. In careful, prayerful preparation for this week's sermon, I've listened to that about 30 times and smiled every time. What was Mary thinking? I think she thought she was trying to help her son when she and Jesus' brothers head towards where he is. And you know what they're doing? They're staging an intervention. They think that he's lost his mind. He's beside himself. The text literally means he is out of his head or he is touched in the head. And they come to take him away. The word that is used to describe their proposal is the same word that's used to describe the arrest of Jesus and the arrest of John the Baptist. So they're, they're going to take him away for his own safety. Don't you think that as the story unfolds that Mary would have probably looked back on that day with regret? The day when she of all people didn't believe in her son but she could not be defined by that moment of failure or mistake however you want to describe it I wonder if there's a message there for us there certainly is because so many of us define ourselves by our worst moments we define ourselves by the things that we regret the most and we live under the shadow of that episode. We say, that's who I am. And Mary could have easily lived smothered by shame and regret. I was challenged by something that David Siemens, a counselor, said some years ago. He said, many years ago, <clears throat> I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness, <clears throat> and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace. But that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. I don't know what you're hoping for for Christmas, but how about this as a starter? How about accepting God's grace? For that episode, that season, that decision that you so regret. Mary was not defined by her moment of failure. And then thirdly, Mary was faithful in the place of unbearable suffering. She was faithful in the place of unbearable suffering. We go to the cross now. And it's in John chapter 19. Look at this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I, I just can't imagine it, can you? To be there at the execution of your child I, I don't I can't think it can get really much worse than that 
And it's not only that Mary is suffering this incredible pain of watching Jesus die, but he's watching her watch him. And there's this beautiful response moment because there he is dying on an instrument of execution and he looks into his mother's eyes and he sees his friend John and he says, John, you're going to take care of mom now. Mom, you're going to be with John now. In his extremity, he sees her pain, but she is faithful in the place of unbearable suffering. If we're going to have a theology of the supernatural, the idea and the truth that God breaks in, we've also got to have a theology of suffering, lest we end up trading cliches when people go through shadow lands of pain and struggle. I want to stop for a moment and speak to you as a pastor. Hope I always do that, but there are these moments when, as the Bible says, at times, speak tenderly to my people. I'm just aware that for some of us, Christmas is a time of mixture. It's all the lights and the glory and the beauty and the loveliness of the whole thing. But I'm aware that some of you listening to me today, Christmas brings mixed emotions. It brings memories of other Christmases gone by when others were in your life and you loved them and now you miss them most greatly at Christmas time. And there are others who have walked through incredible pain and you have stood near the cross, as it were, and you've been faithful. I wish I could summon up a sentence to somehow make it better, but I do want to say this. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for trusting God when you were surrounded by question marks and there wasn't any light on the horizon and you stood really close, as it were, to the cross and you decided to trust God anyway. Sometimes we think that faith is about getting the intervention Often faith is about being faithful when the intervention we want doesn't come. And here is Mary, faithful in the place of suffering. <clears throat> well, there's a final postscript. There's a final postscript to this story because it's not the end of Mary's story. Jesus dies. He is raised from the dead. He ascends to heaven. And then we move into the book of Acts and we find that Mary is there. Look at this final postscript, Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. It's Jerusalem, and it says this, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The boys are there. The brothers are there. Mary's there, faithful. She's still there. Have you ever, have you ever thought about how strange that might have felt? Because she's now singing songs to her boy 
And the brothers are praying prayers to the Jesus that they played with when they were kids. It's mysterious, but beautiful, poignant spectacle of faithfulness. She finished well. In a moment or two, we're going to pray. You know, one of my prayers would be, for me, for you, is that we finish well. We finish in faith. Some of you may know that Kay and I have two children of our own, and we also have two foster children. They're grown up now. Their mum was in our church when we were pastoring back in England. She was dying of cancer. And I used to go visit her and she'd say, oh, Pastor Jeff, I'm not worried about dying. I know I'm going to be with Jesus. But I'm worried about my girls. Her husband had long gone. And she was anxious about her daughters who were 15 and 14 at that time. And we had Kelly there now, our oldest child. She was maybe a year old. And I would share scriptures with this lady and I would pray with her. I'd say, the Lord, the Lord promises he's going to take care of it. And I remember coming out from her house one day <laughs> and I don't hear from God 40,000 times a day. But God spoke to me that day and said, how am I going to take care of it then? And I thought, I, I don't know. You're God, it's your thing, you know. And I suddenly realized that God takes care of stuff through us. And uh, so Kay and I prayed and talked and um, met with social services. And we were able to say to that lady that if Jesus takes you home, uh, the girls are going to be with us. And the day she died, uh, she called Hazel and Denise, her daughters, into her room. She sat up in bed. She punched the pillow behind her to make herself comfortable. And she said, girls, I'm going home to be with Jesus now. And you're going to go and live with Jeff and Kay. And then she laughed out loud like it was the funniest thing and died. Now, I'd like to go like that. I'd, I'd like to go with a laugh. I think laughter is a gift. Uh, I was going to say I wouldn't mind making you laugh and then dying, but not right now. That's not, that's not the plan. Stop praying that right now. Well, that's the kind of end I'd like. But whatever it looks like, the end I'd like for you and the end I'd like for me is like Mary, found in the place of faithfulness. Through it all, through the through the joys of it and the difficulties, through the, the wonder and the pain, through the answers and the questions, through the failures and the triumphs, still there, still there, trusting God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing story of this amazing woman and for the testimony of faith and faithfulness that she is. Lord, as we take some moments to wait before you, 
We ask you to help us to respond as we've sat under the preaching of your word today. As Pastor Steve read scripture about trusting you, as we've looked at a command to not be afraid, help us to apply these words and the truth of them into our own hearts and lives. Let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment and then I'm going to ask just two simple questions. The first one goes like this. It's so simple. Are you afraid? Some of us are very afraid. Some of us, we're not sleeping well. And anxiety is mugging us and robbing us of joy. We're afraid. I'd love to pray that you, together with me, that we'll learn how to not be afraid. If you are afraid right now, and there's a variety, there's, there's no shortage of things to fear in this life. If you're afraid right now, I want to ask you to respond. Just slip your hand up for a moment, please. You just say, I'm afraid. Just lower your hands. There are many of us. And just keep your hand open in front of you. Maybe rest that hand on your knee. And as I just carry on talking for a few more moments before we pray, why don't you just whisper to God a sentence or two about that fear. I wonder how many of us today would need to say to God, I submit. I'll be your servant in this issue. We've been wrestling with him and arguing with him. And it's time to say, I'm, I'm going to submit. I'm going I'm to do it your way. If that's true for you, would you slip up a hand right now, please? It's your way of saying, yeah, I, here you are, Lord. I'm your servant. Lord, for those of us who are submitting and for those of us who are fearful, we thank you that the Christmas story is wonderful and it is earthy. It connects with us where we live. We praise you because we are not abandoned or alone. That just as the angel came to Mary, we'd, most of us don't bump into angels, Lord, but we are assured of your presence and your help. Calm the hearts of those who fear. Teach us how to trust you when we are hemmed in by anxiety. Let peace that is beyond understanding garrison our hearts and minds. For those of us who are compelled today to say, I submit, I'll stop, I'll slow down, I'll go there, I'll do that. Strengthen us, Lord in the good choices that we make. Thank you that we're not just making choices with you at a distance. You are with us and for us, working in us. So we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Great, thanks so much. There's a table in the mall and they have some, uh, there's a CD out there so you can take them home with you as well. Will you stand with me if you're able, please? Let's stand together.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the service begins now as we go into our homes, into our community, into our world. We thank you that you go with us. We pray, Lord, that at this Christmas season that we might discover afresh the wonderful joy of knowing that we are not alone, that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This is our declaration of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, prayer team are here. If you get a flat tire on the way home, <laughs> my wife is available to help you. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Merry Christmas.